then we will start. You might want to open your Bibles or open your phone and look up Mark chapter 11. So Mark chapter 11, verse 20 to 25, read for us very well by Liz. Sorry, did I say Mark chapter 20? Mark chapter 11, verse 20 to 25. You know, it's quite extraordinary hearing Edwin give that story about his relative, Densmore. And the reason is because when he started that story, I thought he was telling another story. It's so alike a story that happened in the life of George Muller, who looked after orphans in Bristol. Similar thing happens to him, believing prayer. Now, one of the things to notice is that when it talks about faith in this passage, it's not talking about saving faith. You know, that faith where you just simply put out your hand and you receive the life that God has got to offer you. That is not what's been talking about here. This faith is a believing, a trusting in God to work today and every day in our lives. But anyway, George Muller was really someone who had a particular gift of faith. And something very similar happened to him. One day he got up and he said, Lord, looking at all the orphans, they had no food. Thank you for the food that we're about to receive, even though they had no food. Knock on the door, and it was the milkman. And the milkman said, my carriage is just broken down outside your Um, orphanage, and it will go off. Could you take it? And he took the milk, and then another knock on the door, and it was the baker. And the baker said, I woke up in the middle of the night. You were on my horse, so I got up extra early. I felt that God was telling me to make you bread for the orphanage. You see, God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And it should be no surprise that in Ireland he worked one way in a miracle that you go, are you sure that Edwin's got this one right and he's not thinking of George Muller? But it's the same God. Of course he's going to work in the same way. And then there's, um, then there's another story that I wanted to tell you. Um, If I was doing a children's talk, I might have used this one. You might remember the story, Helen Rosevere. She was an English missionary in Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. And what happened in her uh, looking after orphans was that she was looking after, uh, she ran sort of a medical clinic. And one day, there was a woman giving birth, and the woman died giving birth to a premature baby. And the baby's life was in great danger, and she went down to the school. The first thing in the morning, she gathered the children around to pray. She said, we need to pray that God sends us a hot water bottle because we need an incubator. And the hot water bottle, we went to look for, it's all wrecked, it won't work. And so they started to pray, and this girl, I think her name now would have been Rebecca, and Rebecca says, she says, and and God, remember her little sister too. Could you bring that hot water bottle today? Because if it comes tomorrow, the child will be dead. And could you remember her sister, you know, that she, she would like a teddy bear, you know, because, you know, she's now got no mother. And that afternoon, a van drove into the compound where they were, and there was a parcel that very afternoon. 
and, and Helen Rosevere calls all the children and says, you must see this. Let's open the parcel. And they open the parcel. And you guess what's in that parcel. There's a hot water bottle. But Rebecca said, look, hold on a sec. If there's a hot water bottle, there's got to be the teddy bear as well for the sister. And she pushed away all the clothes that were in and out of the bottom was a teddy bear. And you know what had happened? Months before, back in England, a ladies' group had felt the need to send a parcel to that compound and to the work of Helen Rosevere. And not everybody in England knows that the, the nights in southern Africa can be cold. So it doesn't naturally come to people to think about sending a hot water bottle to Africa, but they put in a hot water bottle as they felt. And it arrived in the day. And that's the simple prayer of a believing child. You know, I've got to think uh, one thing too. I always think that there's something special about children praying. Because children pray without guile. Children pray confidently and expectantly, don't they? And, and look at this passage, and we've got this, and, and Edwin did something very good because he pointed out that um, God will answer in line with his will. And we're going to explain what that means in a moment. The cursing of the fig tree. So you remember last week we said there was a sandwich, there was the fig tree, the cleansing of the temple, and the fig tree. And the fig tree represented the religion of the people at the time, and it was producing no fruit. And therefore, God said through Jesus, your time has come to an end. He goes into the uh, temple, and he finds that people are not practicing any faith that has any heart to it. It's empty. And then on the way out, the next day, as they come back into Jerusalem, they see that the fig tree is withered. And the fig tree in the Old Testament represented God's people. And it's saying that that time of empty religion is over. But Jesus also took this as an opportunity to teach about the power of words. Now, I need to be very careful here because there's a thing called the Word of Faith movement. And they put a lot of emphasis on words. And they go to Proverbs, and in Proverbs says the power of life and death is in words. And I've had people say, oh, don't mention anything like cancer, because, you know, it might happen if you say it. That's not what is meant by the power of words in the Bible. It's not something superstitious. You know, that's just a, a type of superstition, you know. If I say it, it might come into being. You know, when the Proverbs talk about the power of words, it's the simple reality that words can build you up and they can crush you. I remember thinking in the swimming pool not so long about a very negative thing. I started thinking, what are the words that had the worst impact on my life? You know, maybe a teacher who tells you you're never going to make it in life. And those words sting and last with you. It could be any authority figure. It reminds us of that proverb and the importance of words. The power of life and death is in words. Don't you love the little bell on Josie? You know, I, I think it's going to be funny for, for the rest of her life. She's going to, you know, wonder about that bell on the end of her um, foot. She's a beautiful child. Words matter. Anyway, Jesus takes the idea of words mattering and he puts them into the realm of prayer. 
You see, Jesus had cursed the fig tree. He had prayed about it, and something spectacular had happened. And Peter goes, wow. He says, let me tell you about the power of prayer. And there's a proverb in that time, and it was about mountains going into the sea. By the way, see behind Thoman Park. I've always seen, you know, there's sort of hills, mountains. Does anyone know what those hills are called? The Clare, just the Clare Mountains. Clare Hills, thank you. I just, because I, I was thinking, so the Clare Hills back there, okay? So he goes, speak to those mountains with faith expecting, and they'll be thrown into the sea, which will be a long way from here. But it was a parable. It was a parable that's saying the seemingly impossible can be done. The seemingly impossible. It was a parable of that. He says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to the mountains, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that it will happen, it will be done. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, and Edwin was right to say at one stage, in the name of God, in God's will, believe that you have received it and it will be done. We are Honor God when we go and say, I know you can do this. I know you can do this. I know you can do this because you're the God who stood in my life and turned my life around. I know you're the God who can do amazing things. But we do remember that we ask in line with the will of God. You see, this isn't all that Mark teaches us about prayer. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. That's what he means by believing prayer. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. That's his prayer. But this is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Yet not what I will, but what you will. This is not a challenge to test God against his will. Sometimes in those prosperity gospel or word of faith books, they talk about a law. You know, if you give, God's obliged to, to give you material stuff. That's not relationship. God's in relationship with He's the Father. We don't work out mechanical laws. And so when we go to Him believing prayer, we say, I know that you know what's best. I spoke to someone one time from this Word of Faith Prosperity Gospel movement, and, and he said to me that, you know, because I believe that sometimes God knows better, even when we're ill, and will say no sometimes to us. He said, your theology is a theology of death because you're discouraging people to pray from healing. I hope that's not true. I hope nothing I would ever say would discourage you from paying for healing. And yet we know that there are times when he will say no because he has a better plan. And I said to my friend, I said, but your theology is a theology of condemnation. Because when God sometimes says no to someone, you say, well, they must have done something wrong not to receive their answer. 
and that God is somehow saying, Jason, I would love to answer your prayer, but you haven't shown, you haven't reached that grade enough, so I'm not going to do it. I don't think that's what God's like. What is faith like? Let me tell you a story. Faith accepts that God knows best. There was a couple, I know his name was Bruce, and I'm going to call her Linda, but I can't remember what her name was. Sydney, Australia. And Linda was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she went to hospital. She was lying in cancer, and the church decided that uh, they were acting a bit unfaithful and not praying for her recovery, so they prayed, and she began to recover. But then it relapsed. And they didn't feel that there was anything that they were doing wrong with their prayer. They wondered maybe this is God's time to take her home. And Linda said to a guy called John Chapman, who was an evangelist who went to see her, she said, I think, she had three sons, I would think for the sake of Bruce and the boys, it would be best for them if I recovered. But I know that if this is God's time to take me home, it must not be best for them and the boys that I would recover. Now you tell me, is that woman lacking faith? She's not lacking faith. That's supreme faith. Sometimes the hardest thing about faith is to say, your will be done, God. And then what about, you know, that thing in the Word of Faith movement? You know, if you have enough faith, everything will happen. Can I tell you all faith is imperfect? None of us will ever pray with perfect faith. That's why at one stage he talks about the faith of a mustard seed. It's about that simple trust in God, but it's not about working your way into a place where you somehow merit God's favor. Remember in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, the man who prays a prayer that is one of those prayers I think all of us pray at times, I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. I don't know about you, but do you ever find that sometimes it seems like God steps in most readily when you've totally given up? That's what I find. I find prayer normally finds its answer when I've given up because I've given up on me. I can't sort this situation out, Lord. I'm completely at my wit's end. And then the answer comes. And I think the reason is because that's what faith looks like. Faith looks like giving up on anything to do with me and handing it totally over to do with God. I think that's what faith looks like. And then can I tell you that faith grows? And remember, I'm not talking about the simple putting out your hands to God and saying, here I come as a sinful person, forgive me. I'm talking about that confidence that people like George Muller had, that God loves to honor and loves to see in his children where we say, I know you can do a God. And you know how I think this grows? Do you know the acronym ACTS? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which means to ask for things. I try to base my prayer time around that so that I get a balance. I try to start by telling God how great he is. I then go on to tell him how messed up I am and I need his forgiveness. And then I start by going back to think, thanking him. And then I bring the the supplications, the requests. 
Well, Ava added in the letter F. And so now it says F-A-C-T-S, facts. And I'll tell you what I mean by F. I try to, and I, what I do is I go through a cycle of 10. And I try to think of 10 ways I've seen God's faithfulness recently in my life. So I start with F and I start with going, but you know that situation where, you know, there was a problem there and, and actually you, you brought a solution to that. You were faithful. You know, when I was a kid and I was so anxious and I, I couldn't ever believe that I was your child and now I have confidence, I see your faithfulness in that. You know the way the timing of that turned out perfectly well because I, it was a complete mess, but the person came at just the right moment. I see your faithfulness in that. And so I've added in an F into the ACTS acronym, FACTS. And I spend 10 times going through, here are 10 ways that I've seen God's faithfulness to me. And what am I doing in that? I'm trying to build up faith. The God who never changes is a God who trusts or I can trust. Why? Because he's shown me many times before that he is trustworthy. Another thing, and I was thinking about this yesterday in the swimming pool. You must think I go swimming all the time, um, <laughs> which Caroline will tell you I'm not. I can think of any reason. Uh, I have every, always got a ready excuse not to exercise. Um, but um, I thought about it yesterday. And the word that was on my heart to say to you about prayer is that sometimes God says, wait. And sometimes the waiting is hard. And sometimes you've been praying for something and it seems more likely than not that times, you know, I'm impatient. I want the answer now. And so often... God has us wait. And so often we grow during that waiting time. And maybe you're praying for something and you're thinking, what's wrong? Am I lacking faith? Am I lacking the confidence? I mean, maybe he is calling you to increase your faith, to remember his faithfulness, to acknowledge that he can do it. Maybe you need to grow in that trust. I don't want to dilute these words in any way. But maybe he's saying, wait my time. And almost always his time goes slower than our time. And maybe he's not saying, give up, move on. He's saying, persevere, don't give up. It will happen. And then let's finish verse 25. There is something that stops our prayers. And I think it's an answer or it's a reflection because I think when he's talking about belief here, it's more than simply just you can do it. I think the belief also, it's something to do with a relationship. It's something to do with our heart being right with God. And there are sometimes there's things that are wrong in our heart with God and with other people that seem to get in the way of prayers being answered. And I think he holds back answers because he loves us. And because he loves us, he wants what's best for us. And because he wants what's best for us, he's, he's calling us 
to address issues. And you see this in verse 25. But let me just go, first of all, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, verse 7 says, you know, if a man is crushing his wife, whether verbally or physically, don't expect your prayers to be answered. God's not like that. And here he says, if you're holding out bitterness, because it goes straight into the whole thing about holding out bitterness, if you're holding out bitterness in verse 25, if you're holding out bitterness against someone, don't expect that God's going to deal with your prayers. First of all, he's going to want you to deal with the bitterness in your heart. And therefore, he says, I tell you, um, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And so when we come to prayer, there are times where we're asking, God, give me the faith because my faith is so imperfect and I know that it honors you to trust you with this situation and to know that you're not slow and that you respond to that. And there are times where we've got to go back and say, I haven't really been praying about that in any sense in a way that honors God with belief. But there are other times where we look back and say, nothing's happening in this situation. I wonder, is there bitterness in my heart that's holding me back? And God's saying, hold on, I love you so much. I want you to sort this out first. And so, and and let me tell you a story. I think it was in Wales where there was a church. They always prayed for revival. There was a church that prayed for revival and revival just wasn't happening. And then one day they're having a prayer meeting and Mr. Smith will get up and you you know that I'm choosing Smith and Jones just because they're common names just in case there's a Smith and Jones not getting on well here. But Mr. Smith gets up and he goes, you know what, there will be no revival in this church until I sort out my problem with Mr. Jones. And people got up and made those sort of confessions. They were united with each other. They promised to stop backbiting each other and fighting with each other and gossiping about each other. And then revival came. Just to finish, two things I want to say. This is a promise for sons and daughters of the living God. And this is a promise, as I've already said, for sons and daughters of the living God who are seeking God's will. It's a promise for sons and daughters of the living God. God loves to answer prayer, but he tells us to call him Father. Remember the Lord's Prayer, Sarah started, our Father in heaven. What you need to realize is that there's a fatherhood that only comes when we come into believing faith. What does that mean? Ephesians chapter 2 says one of the hardest things in the whole of the Bible, it says that apart from Jesus, we are children, not of God, but children of wrath, God's holy anger. What that means is that although God loves people and is good to people, he is a just God, and by nature we have rejected him and his son and don't want to live under his loving rule. And if you live a life apart from Jesus, you will die apart from Jesus. 
He offers you forgiveness and reconciliation and into his family. But if you say, I'd rather go my own way and ignore what you teach, ignore what you say, ignore what Jesus has done on the cross to pay the price of my sin, then you will get your way. You will remain unforgiven and you will remain apart from him, which is what's called being a child of wrath, meaning God's holy anger, his judgment is upon you. But God does not want that for you. He sent his son to die to take our guilt so that we could be dearly loved children, be his delight, who are being transformed by his love, and it shows itself in being transformed itself in his love. It shows itself by the fact that when you read that last verse about bitterness and holding a sin against or grudge against someone, there's something within you, it's called the Holy Spirit, and it says, as much as I struggle to forgive, I cannot rest until that changes. I want to be like Jesus. And that's what it is to be a son of God, a child of God, a son or daughter of the living God, or put simply, a true Christian. And the, the prayers that he's talking about are the prayers of a child to their heavenly father. This is a promise for people who know and have been transformed by the love of God. I'm not saying that God will never answer the prayer of anybody who doesn't know him, but fundamentally all his promises are for those who have accepted him and have been broken and healed by his love. And then it's a promise about faith, or sorry, seeking his will. I, I just, I suppose I probably don't even need to throw this in at this stage, but why is it that, that Jason, sorry, I'm picking on you this morning, but why is it that Jason's not going to go out there this afternoon and go, hey, Claire Hills, into the sea? <laughs> why wouldn't he do that? Because he knows that's not God's will. <laughs> that would be destructive and, and pointless. And so when Jesus talks about casting mountains into the sea, what it is is there's a parable that says, yes, God could do that, but Jason will only pray that if he believes that's God's real will to do that. We all know that. That's common sense. We all know that when we come to pray, the first thing we do is we say, Lord, show me your will. And Edwin gave us four prayers. They're always God's will. Remember them. Go to ask him afterwards. And Jason, seeing as I've picked on you, I'm going to pick on you to prayer. By the way, I will never pick on anyone to pray if I, if I don't have a good inkling that they, they wouldn't mind. 